You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here today. How many of you like a good mystery? Like a, like a book or movie, TV show? Yeah? You like a good mystery? I, I like a good whodunit, um, especially the really good ones. You know, the really good mysteries, the ones that keep you on the edge of your seat where you just don't know what's going on. You know, those, those are the most enjoyable because whatever the mystery it is, it always remains a mystery until the end, until that final moment, until that final reveal, and you're like, whoa, what? You're mind blown, right? And, and, and in a sense, this, this is what the Christian life is like as we await that, that, that final moment, that final reveal, when Jesus comes again to make all things new, on that glorious day when, when he raises us up with him into resurrection life, which is what we've been talking about over the last month, going through 1 Corinthians 15, right? And, and it's a moment as, as we as, as Christians hope for and anticipate, but yet until it happens, it remains you know, what the Apostle Paul uh, we'll call from our passage this morning a mystery, a mystery that's yet to be revealed. We know it's coming, but we don't really know what it's going to be like or what it's going to look like. And uh, he's going to be talking about that this morning. So on that end, please turn with me now to 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58, where we'll find the Apostle Paul concluding his thoughts about res- the resurrection of Christ and what it means for us. So if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58. That's where we'll be reading from this morning. All right, so again, he's been talking about the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection in him, and he's concluding his thoughts here to the church in Corinth, and he says, What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption Inherit corruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. And when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so as, as, as many of you know, I've, I've, been, I'm, I've been playing soccer for most of my life. Any soccer players out there? Oh, two. 
come on. No, I, I, I enjoy it. It's something I enjoyed, something I was good at. And I say was, because uh, a week and a half ago, I actually played what will most likely be my last soccer game. Not, not that I'll never kick the ball around again or play a pickup game here and there with my boys or whatever, right? But I decided that I was done playing in an organized league. I'm done with that. And there were a multitude of factors which led to this decision. But the biggest reason is due to the fact that I am getting older and my body is slowing down. Over the last couple of years, I've been forced to accept this because every time I got injured during a game, which seemed to be happening more and more, not only would uh, my wife be upset, but it, it would take me weeks to recover and, and these were injuries that, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago even, would have only taken me a couple days to, to recover or heal from. But they were taking me weeks. And so because I was tired of limping around and being in pain all the time, I've decided to retire my cleats or hang out my boots, as the pros would say. Not that I'm even close to being a pro. I did score a few goals in my, my day, though. But, you know, I just, now, now I have to figure out something else to keep active, something that isn't as hard on my body. We'll see. But anyways, isn't that the way life goes, though? Isn't that the way life goes? No matter how many vitamins or, or workouts or healthy foods we eat, we can't stop our bodies from getting older. We can't stop the aches and, and pains of tired muscles or the shrinking of our bones no matter how many serums we try, we can't prevent the eventual wrinkles in our skin or the graying of our hair, or in my case, the loss of said hair. And, and sure, we, we can certainly delay these things. We're really good at delaying those things these days, right? But we can't stop them. We can't stop them because our flesh is mortal, right? Our flesh is prone to decay, and the longer we live, the more we, we experience that reality and, and we're forced to accept it. First Peter 1.24 says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass, but the grass withers, and the flower falls. And this is the word of the Lord, stands forever, right? But in other words, our bodies are mortal, and one day, no matter how hard we, we, we might try to prevent it or delay it, Every single one of us will die. Every single one of us will die. Memento mori, remember you will die. Or as the other saying goes, the only certainty in life is death. Having uh, attended and, and officiated a number of funerals over the last couple of months, including my own grandpa's, I can confirm this statement to be effectually true. Yet, why are you all so uncomfortable when I talk about death? Our Western culture doesn't like talking about death, does it? You know, probably because it does make us uncomfortable or afraid or sad to think about, which is fair, especially if we've lost a loved one. But hedonism, of course, which is the, the pursuit of pleasure above all, all things, tries to avoid those feelings like being uncomfortable or being sad or being fearful. 
tries to avoid those feelings like the plague, right? Which is what our culture is steeped in, in hedonism. So we try to avoid the things that... (laughs) But still, no matter how much we try to avoid this topic, it's a reality that we all have to face at some point, usually at many points, But death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. And, and this has been the case ever since, you know, you go, you go into Genesis 2, right? Two and three. Ever, ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, when Satan tricked Eve, saying, did, did, did God really say that you would die if you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Surely you won't die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. And so they believed the serpent and they ate of the fruit of the tree, which I would remind you is the only thing that God told them not to do. And so it was this decision of disobedience, this very sin, when when they decided to try to make gods of themselves and choose their own will and choose their own morality that is what separated them from the garden and from dwelling within, with the holy presence of God who is the very source of life. If you're no longer dwelling with the very source of life, well, what's going to happen? Right? And so from that moment, their flesh was now given to decay. From that moment, death was inevitable. Even creation itself was subjected to futility and brokenness and now groans in anticipation along with all of us for the day all things will be restored and all things will be made new. All due to sin. All due to sin. Which is why the Bible reminds us time and again that the wages of sin is death. Or as the Apostle Paul writes from our passage this morning, the sting of death is sin. In other words, as long as sin remains, death will win. As long as sin remains, death holds the victory over us. And then Paul goes on to write, saying that the power of sin then is the law, which is the law of Moses, right? which ultimately serves to show us our imperfection and our sin as we, as we fail to live up to its standards. Romans 3.20 it says, for no one will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So again, the, the law, which God gave to his people during the Exodus, reminds us that you know, we are imperfect, that no one can justify themselves or atone for their own sin, which again means none of us can ex- escape the sting of death in our own strength. But Paul writes, here's the good news. Here's the, the wonderful mystery that's been made known to us even now and will be revealed in full on the day of our Lord. From verse 57, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory over the grave has already been won for us and has been given to us for free. As as Christians, we can rejoice in in the glorious truth that through his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has in fact put death to death. He, He bore the weight of all our sin upon himself on the cross as our sinless sacrifice, but death could not hold him. 
because death had no victory over him. And he was raised by the Spirit of God on the third day. And now by his grace, anyone who believes in Jesus by faith can now walk and live and hope in that glorious victory over sin and death themselves. Colossians 3, 13 to 14 says it like this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. Because of our sin, death was inevitable. But through Jesus Christ, our sin has been erased and we've been made alive. Because of him, we can now anticipate and rest in the promise that one day we'll be changed in a flash from mortal to immortal, from corruptible to incorruptible. Because of Jesus, we can proclaim victoriously with all the prophets and, and, the, and the saints who've tasted death before us. From verses 54, death has been swallowed up in victory. I love that. It's been swallowed up in victory. It's gone. And so we can say, we can boast, we can say, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. Like you've got nothing on us anymore, death, Right? The empty tomb proclaims for us that death no longer holds its sting, that death no longer wins. Which also means that, that we, as, as Christians, we don't need to fear or mourn over death like those without hope, as it says in First Thessalonians, because we know that, that one day there will be no death. And there will be no sorrow and no tears and no pain anymore. This is the reality that, that we get to look forward to. And, and it's what we'll experience completely and eternally when Jesus victoriously returns to raise up all the saints, whether they're dead or alive in that moment. And he's going to return or raise us up with him in glory, a day which, which many theologians refer to as the rapture. You've probably heard of, or heard of the rapture. A lot of people think they know what it's going to be like, but it is a mystery. We do not know what it will be like, but we know that when the trumpet sounds, we will be changed. And it's this certainty of hope which, which led theologian Charles Spurgeon to write, death is the gate of life. I will not fear to die. Death is the gate of life. I will not fear to die. That's the confidence of a Christian. And this is why Paul and the early Christians referred to those who were dead as, as those who were only sleeping. Because death is no longer final. It's a gateway to resurrection life. This is our, this is our certain hope. I don't know why you guys aren't jumping out of your seats rejoicing at this. This is, this is like, come on. But, but now we have to ask, what does this hope of resurrection life mean for us today? Like, do, do we just sit around waiting to die? Or sit around waiting for Jesus to return so that we can experience this? No, Paul writes, 
Absolutely not. The, the victory which Jesus won for us over the grave doesn't just affect life after death. Rather, it, it affects our lives even now. And I think we often miss this. Romans 8, 11 to 13 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he dwells in everyone who believes in Jesus by faith. So if he dwells in you, he, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Or as 1 Peter 4, 1-2 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, No longer for human desires, but for God's will. That last sentence is so important. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, the life that you have left on this earth, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. So as we place our hope in Christ's victory over the power of sin and death, we're also set free to live victoriously even now. To, to no longer live according to the desires of the flesh or by the ways of the world which lead to death, but rather by the Spirit who gives us life. The very same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the grave, He dwells in us even now so that we can live, truly live, according to the way God created us to. And yes, we will still mess up. We will still make mistakes. We will still sin, times, sin at times, but He is quick to forgive us and draws back into that life whenever we come to him and repent. 1 John 5, 4 to 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Well, how's that? Well, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus, the name of Jesus the person and work of Jesus. He is our source. He is our victory. He is our power. He is our strength. He is our life. And because Jesus has overcome the world, we who believe in his name by faith also have the authority to overcome the world ourselves. Which means, again, we're no longer bound to it like we once were so that we can live lives of purpose for the glory of God. This is why Paul then writes at the, at, the end of his, at the end of this passage, verse 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How do we know it's not in vain? We know, we know it's not in vain because Jesus has won and will win. We live from a place of, of victory. We're marching in, in, into, the, into the battle, into our daily battles, into our daily struggles, into our daily sufferings, whatever. But we, we march into those things from a place of victory. We already know the outcome. We already know who wins. And nothing and no one, not even Satan or death itself, can prevail against us or separate us from God and his will for our lives. 
right? Knowing, knowing this should give us the confidence to live for him regardless of what we face in this life. Psalm 27, one to three says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So whom should I fear? Right? That the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. For if the living God is for us, who can be against us? Who? No one. Who can separate us from the love of God? No one. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's amazing that Pastor Blair read that this morning. I I didn't ask him to do that. That's what's on our hearts this morning. That's what God's teaching us this morning. Nothing can separate us from him. He has already won. Of course, many will try, right? Many many will try, but, but with our faith in Christ, they will surely fail. The enemy is as lost and, and just doesn't know it yet, right? The gates of hell cannot prevail against Jesus Christ. Simply put, this means that we can set aside every weight and sin which holds us down so that we can run with our eyes on Jesus. We can endure and persevere in our Christian life because the future hope we have is certain. We can be sure our work for the Lord will bear fruit because God is at work in it. Because the living God is at work in it. So even when life feels difficult and and the experiences of, of death around us might feel heavy, know that it's not in vain, because God has worked to defeat death in Christ. He's already won, and those who trust in him will win as well. And so shouldn't this compel us to to excel in the work which the Lord has called us to do, especially as we anticipate his return? When Jesus comes again, will he see faith on this earth? He's not looking for the, oh, I prayed the Lord's Prayer. No, he's looking for faith on this earth. You know, I'd say, I'd, I'd say too many Christians tend to, bind the, to bide their days in, in comfort or, or, or waste their days just doing whatever as they wait for Jesus to come and bring them to heaven. This isn't the call. If we were just supposed to twiddle our thumbs and sit around waiting for the rapture, he'd have taken us already. No, we're here on this broken and sinful earth because we've been renewed and and called to partner with God and proclaiming the good news of his gospel to make disciples of all nations until Jesus returns, until the master returns to his household. This reminds me of the, the day described in Acts 1 
after uh, Jesus ascended into heaven to take his seat at the right hand of God. And all the disciples were just staring into the sky. Like, ooh, where'd he go, right? But then some angels appeared to them and, they, and, and, and were like, why, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This, this same Jesus who, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, stop staring into the sky waiting for Jesus to return. Since you know he's going to return, you should get on with the work he's called you to do so that you're ready when he comes. This is the call for us as well. This is the same call for us today. We have to stop staring at the sky, but rather we should be getting to his work. But one might argue, well, the Bible says to set our hearts on things that are above. Exactly. To set our hearts on things that are above doesn't mean we stare into the sky like idiots wasting our life away or, 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 or hiding in fear of what man can do to us. It means to live our lives boldly as if we were already dwelling above with God in as much as we can in this mortal flesh. In other words, we, we don't have to wait to die to live. We can live now. As a theologian N.T. Wright notes, if it is true that God is going to transform this present world and renew our whole selves, bodies included, then what we do in the present time with our bodies and with the world matters. For far too long, many Christians have been content to separate out future hope from present responsibility. But that is precisely what Paul refuses to do. His full-body doctrine and promise of resurrection sends us back to our present world and our present life of bodily obedience to our Lord in the glorious but sobering knowledge that if there is continuity between who and what we will be in the future, we cannot discount the present life, the present body, and the present world as irrelevant. The hope and promise of resurrection life is meant to have a direct effect on our current life today. We've been made alive. And the spirit of life dwells within us. That's meant to have a direct effect on our current life today. And it's a life which is no longer lived for itself, but confidently for the one who died to save us. And it's a life no longer lived by the flesh or under the compulsion to sin, but a life lived by the Spirit and in righteousness and goodness and sacrificial generosity. It's a life of repentance and humility which seeks to put away all that is incorruptible and worldly in exchange for that which is incorruptible and stored in heaven. It's a life lived in community where we encourage and are encouraged by the body of Christ. And while we're not yet perfected as, as we one day will be, it's a life which seeks to grow and be sanctified in the Lord through his word and through prayer and in love for others. So that with confidence we can say, from 2 Corinthians 4.16, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Ultimately, to, to live a victorious life is to abide in Christ, 
just as we were singing before this message, right? To abide in Christ is to recognize that our life is no longer our own, that we were bought with a price, that we need Jesus, and, and that Jesus and Jesus alone is our life. And therefore, it belongs to him, now and forever. And so, of course, the deeper we abide in him and grow in our relationship with him, the more deeply we'll walk in victory. And truth be told, there's no one I'd rather give my life to than Jesus, for he has already humbly given up his life for me. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How many of us believe that? If, if you believe that, let, let, let's, let's read it together. Galatians 2.20, let's read this together. From the depths of our heart, let's proclaim this truth. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. And so as we, as we trust in and, and look forward to the victory which Jesus won for us over the grave. Let us walk in the hope of that victory even now. Let it give us the confidence to be steadfast and immovable in our faith, fearless in our mission, and proficient in our work for the Lord. <laughs>